Please be seated. Last week we set the stage for Matthew chapters 9 and 10. And if you use just one word to describe the feeling of last week's gospel text, I think it would be the word urgency. At the end of chapter 9, Jesus was moved with compassion at the sight of the crowds. Jesus said they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus then turned to his disciples and said something along the lines of, The harvest is ripe, and I'm sending you to gather it. And then chapter 10 opens. Jesus calls his 12 disciples and commissions them to go. But before they went, Jesus does something absolutely amazing. Jesus gave them authority. He gave them authority over unclean spirits. He gave them authority to heal every disease and affliction. Jesus gave to his disciples the same authority they watched him exercise. Jesus gave them the authority the Father had given to him. And the disciples had watched their master perform jaw-dropping feats. They had watched him perform the miraculous, and there was no doubt in their minds that the power and authority of God rested upon Jesus. But now this same master looked at them and said, Now it's your turn. Go and do likewise. And if you can stop for just a moment and try to imagine how this might have made the disciples feel. Imagine tomorrow you're at work and you hear a booming voice from heaven. And you know without a shadow of a doubt that the Lord is speaking to you. And this voice calls your name and says, go over to that person and cast out the unclean spirit within them. Would you respond, sure, Lord, no problem, I'm on it. Now, maybe you would. Maybe that's exactly what you would say. You've walked with the Lord for so long that that's the exact response you would have. If that's the case, would you please come lay hands on me after the service? Because I need your prayer specifically. I feel most of us, though, perhaps even all of us, would have very similar feelings. A mixture of surprise and excitement and more than likely a deep sense of inadequacy. But whatever the disciples' immediate feelings on the subject were, one thing was absolutely clear. Jesus said that he was giving them the exact authority, an authority they felt inadequate to wield. Jesus said that he was sending them to the lost sheep of Israel, and the message they were to proclaim was of such magnitude, and the time was so short that if anyone refused to listen, the disciples were to shake the dust from their feet and move on. They were to go to those who would listen. And for as incredible as this may have seemed to the disciples, it didn't sound all that bad so far. They had the authority of Christ. They had the authority over sickness and unclean spirits. And if anyone disagreed with them or rebuked them, they were free to move on. So far, it didn't sound like a bad gig. But then you have the very first line of today's gospel text. Jesus had given them the authority, and now he gives them a picture Jesus gives them a picture of what the exercise of that authority will look like. And the picture that Jesus gives them is a stark one. Jesus doesn't say that he sends them out like lions, wielding the power of God in a mighty way. What Jesus says isn't like that at all. Jesus tells his disciples, those who carry the authority of God, that they will be sent out like sheep. And to make matters worse, the sheep have a looming problem. The sheep aren't being sent into a nice, safe, grassy field, are they? No, the sheep are being sent out in the midst of wolves. And according to Jesus, the wolves will not play nice with the sheep. He tells the disciples, those who are being sent with the authority of God, that they will be flogged 
in the synagogues and dragged before kings and courts and will be made to account for all of the things they do and say. They will be held to account by the wolves of this world for the power and authority with which they speak. And you can imagine the excitement and surprise the disciples felt at the beginning more than likely began to fade. Now feelings like trepidation and fear could begin to creep in. There are a lot of places where it's hard for us to find commonalities with the disciples. They lived so long ago and their world so different from ours that oftentimes it's hard for us to make a connection. But I think when it comes to the subject of fear, when it comes to how this world can scare the living daylights out of you, modern Christians and the disciples can share much in common. Much like in the days of the disciples, the number of problems in our country and world are numerous. Their severity is great and their implications can be terrifying. Many of the problems are so complex and frustrating that a solution to them seems almost impossible. Race relations, inflation, gender identity, sexual ethics, election integrity, foreign policy, fossil fuels, abortion, nuclear weapons, the Constitution, Republicans, Democrats, and this list could go on and on. These are the issues that are dividing countries. These are the issues that are dividing communities, families, and marriages. We have entire channels and publications, whole organizations and movements that are dedicated to exposing the evils of the other side, while at the same time taking no responsibility of any evil themselves. I fear this has conditioned our society to think that what's really wrong with our country is political movement X. What's really wrong with our country is political policy X. And if the other political party would just shut up and get out of our way, then maybe we could institute the right policies and we could fix everything. And while that may sound very modern to you, I think the people of Israel were a light like that too. They were laser focused on the political evils of Rome. They were laser focused on the injustice of Caesar and Pilate. And so they formed plans to address those issues as well. But whatever plan they formed, it had a fatal flaw. The political evils of Rome were only surface-level symptoms of a much, much deeper sickness. This sickness, the real problem with Rome, was so deep and ingrained that political policy or military strategy had no chance of treating it. The sickness of sin in the human heart is the wellspring of every single evil and justice you see in the world today. And so if you want to enact a plan that addresses the evil you see in the world, you want to combat the tyranny and justice you see in your communities, then start by looking in your own heart. Start by repenting of your sin. Political policy and politicians, Supreme Court decisions and judges, none of them treat sin. Sin is treated by Jesus alone. And guys, don't mistake me. I'm not saying having a political opinion is bad, I'm not saying that there aren't good and bad policies. I'm not saying there aren't good and bad political philosophies. Of course there are. I'll go a step further. There are policies and political philosophies that are at their base demonic. So don't think for a moment I'm saying political opinions don't matter. That's not my point. My point is that the evils of this world are rooted much, much deeper than political policy can ever hope to reach. So not only is it fruitless to focus on the political, it's not what Christ has told us to do. 
the disciples of Christ are charged with bearing the life of God in a broken world, of proclaiming that the kingdom is at hand. We are charged to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the one who can treat the real problems of the world. That's our focus. That's our mission. Calling the whole world to repentance. Calling the whole world into God's kingdom. That is how the church of the living Christ fights. We don't wage war like the world. The church fights on its knees. We fight on our faces, interceding before the throne of God. We fight like sheep. The church pushes back the darkness of this world, not with bayonets, not with public policy, not even with elections. The church pushes back the darkness of this world with the light and life of Jesus Christ. And I realize that's not easy. And for his, as unpopular as it may be to say, Jesus never promised it would be easy. But what he did promise was that those of us who endure to the end will be saved. The one who continues to speak the words of Christ, the one who continues to live by the Spirit in a world openly hostile to God, the one who loves Jesus and remains faithful to him regardless of the cost, that one, the one who finishes the race well, that person will be saved. <clears throat> Last week I began the sermon with a story, and this week I'd like to end with one. Some of you may recall a man by the name of John Stephen Okari. He was a marathon runner from the country of Tanzania. In 1968, he had the distinguished privilege of representing his tiny country in the Olympics that were being held in Mexico City. 75 participants entered the event, and John Stephen had every expectation of doing his best and hopefully winning. However, tragedy struck him during the race. About halfway into the race, he collided with another runner and fell, and the injuries that he suffered were far from minor, and it looked like his race was done. John Stephen had dislocated his knee. The finish line was 20 kilometers away, and things weren't looking good for John Stephen Okari. But despite the pain, despite having a legitimate reason to drop out of the race, he pushed on. And one by one, the athletes began to cross the finish line. 56 in total had crossed the finish line, and John Stephen Akari was still nowhere to be seen. It was almost 7 p.m. in Mexico City, and the sky was beginning to darken, and most of the stadium was now empty. As the last few spectators were preparing to leave, police sirens and flashing lights began to catch their attention. A lone runner wearing the colors of Tanzania had just emerged through the stadium gate. He was limping, his leg was bandaged, and he was completely exhausted. But John Stephen Okari dug down deep, summoned what energy he had left, and he finished the race. When interviewed later why he continued despite all of his injuries, he simply said this, My country did not send me 5,000 miles away to start the race. They sent me 5,000 miles away to finish it. Guys, Jesus hasn't promised an easy road. He hasn't promised that the way he's sending us won't be difficult and sometimes downright scary. He promised none of that. But what he has promised is that he'll give us everything we need to run the race well. Jesus has promised that he will run the race right beside you. 
And with everything that you need and with Christ beside you, he has promised that no matter how treacherous the way forward may seem, you have everything you need to finish it. Amen.